0: Hello there, welcome to the (laughs) Eurotrip. It sounded like you almost (laughs) forgot the name of the podcast then, which doesn't bode well for the next few
1: weeks. Few weeks? Should we take this opportunity to tell everyone listening and probably remind each other that we're not going to be here for a few weeks, but in fact we're going to be here every week until the end of Eurovision 2023. This is it, this is the beginning of us being with you every single week in your lives until Eurovision 2023 has been and gone. Yeah, as I so horribly put it
0: last week, I think I called last week the final dregs of the 2022 season, (laughs) which therefore makes this week the beginning of the 2023 Eurovision season. For us here on the EuroTrip, for you listening, this is it now. Full steam ahead to Liverpool 2023. Me
1: and James with you every week between now and May uh, and to celebrate we've even made a new opener it's time for the EuroTrip as Jan you know, Lassandra always said take it away for me Eurovision is much more than just a job but it's part of me Janis let me say we were your first ever Eurovision interview way back in January <laughs> I remember I remember. so Gisli Valtarsson Iceland's commentator welcome to the EuroTrip
2: thank you very much and thank you for the EuroTrip I've been listening to you
1: being face-to-face, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I was going
2: to say your beautiful face. <laughs> I was, like, but it is cute. beautiful as well, though. We were talking on the phone. Yes. Do you want to have a hug?
0: Yes,
1: please. Yeah, that would be great.
0: Cornelia Jacobs, congratulations.
2: Thank you. Give me a
0: hug. Hi there. My name is Martin Osterdal.
2: I am the Executive Supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast with me, Rob. Me, James. And this week and for the next few weeks, we are kickstarting something very special here on the podcast as
1: we're debuting Rewind. Rewind, baby. Yeah, instead (laughs) instead of bringing you what we always classed as a big guest, instead we're going to replace that with a brand new segment called Rewind, where we are going to do exactly that. We're going to rewind the clock and take you back to... A very special edition of the Eurovision Song Contest every single week and delve into it, look at what happened, remind you about some of the songs and just really take a deep dive into a contest either that we know and love or perhaps one that you've never even watched before.
0: Absolutely. We've got people joining us as well who were there. Some of the key players from those Eurovision Song Contests will be here with us on the podcast. And, James, you said we've replaced the big guests. We've not replaced the big guests. We will still have the biggest of all of the guests, because that's what you know us for here on the Eurotrip. We will still bring you those massive conversations, bringing you all the latest news from the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. And that starts this week and continues until, as we discussed at the start of the podcast, till the end of time, because <laughs> on the podcast this week, we've got the BBC's lead commissioner, the Eurovision 2023 Rachel Ashdown
1: yes forgive me she's definitely not not a big guest she's definitely a big guest you know what I meant before but yeah it's great to have her on the podcast we know you love it when we chat about the BBC and chat about the UK at Eurovision so to kickstart the 2023 season we've got one of the big players from the BBC itself so we'll be chatting to Rachel all about the plans for 2023 so we've got all that and more to come
0: you're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify this is the Eurotrip
1: Indeed, all that and more to come, including, I should say, by the way, the return of the one-second song, which we definitely didn't just forget about until we started to record and then had a delay recording while Rob went off and searched for the intro of a one-second song, but never mind.
0: Yeah, but it wouldn't be the Eurotrip if that's not what we did every single week. There was something wonderfully warm and familiar about me and you looking at each other and going, oh, the one-second song.
1: (laughs) But we love doing it. We just forget about it every week. Anyway, we should probably um, keep up to date with the one second song and remember it every week, given we've only been doing this podcast for for two years, more than two years already, and uh, the Euro trip as well has been going for, as we know, ten years now. As we found out last week, as we celebrated the tenth anniversary since Rob kickstarted it back on Student Radio, and it's been lovely to see so many of your lovely messages uh, giving us some well wishes. Yeah, thank you to all of you who've
0: been in touch. It, it does sound confusing. Yeah, so me and James have been in this podcast that you know and love since August 2020, which, let's be honest, feels like long enough. Been staring at your <laughs> face for plenty of Wednesdays between, <laughs> between now and, uh, and way back then. But yeah, I started the Euro trip as is, was then, anyway. Uh, yeah, back in back in 2012 on student Radio in October 2012, which means that, yeah, we celebrated 10 years of the Euro trip last week. If you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to that episode, definitely go and do that. But, James, you mentioned some of the well-wishes we've received. A uh, couple of lovely ones. Uh, John, at ESC John on Twitter got in touch. Best podcast going, 100%. So that's not actually a well-wish, that's just a humble brag from us. Actually <laughs> from John, I mean, it wasn't from us, unless you hold the account at ESC, John, is that you? That's not me, I can guarantee you. Okay, whatever. Is it? Is it your grandma?
1: Uh, no, it's not him either. I'm not as far as I'm aware. Anyway, <laughs> okay.
0: what a relief. Uh, David, he tweeted us as well. He said, "Happy birthday!" Uh, relatively new listener has only just started listening for the 2022 season, but I'm now hooked in. Loved your birthday episode. Look forward to the 2023 season and also a lot of other Eurovision podcasts. The Eurovision podcast family who came flocking. Uh, so uh, aerovision they got in touch with us there of course the, a relatively new podcast that eurovision podcast second cherry the guys over at aussie vision they got in touch with us. and also thank you to andrew and sophie as well who both got in touch about last week's episode uh, sophie especially she said uh, i've actually heard make me brackets la 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 by dean and R in a nightclub if you don't know what sophie's talking
1: about you should go back and listen to last week's episode Absolutely. And uh, get in touch with us as well. We read out loads of messages there. We love to hear from you. Uh, so get in touch with us online. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Or you can send us an email. Hello at Eurotrip dot com.
0: As you should know by now, we've already mentioned we've been here since August 2020, me and James here on the Eurotrip podcast. You should know that it's now time for the very latest news from the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. Well, it will be from next week,
1: basically. That's that's okay, isn't it? Is that That's all right? We can say that? I think so. Usually we would say, here's all of the news from the world of Eurovision since we last joined you. And I know we were with you last week, but that wasn't a normal episode. So I feel like we should just kickstart the news next week, and then we can round you up with everything that's happened since this episode. That makes sense.
0: That does make sense. And it's not as if we haven't got enough to fit into today's episode, because coming up very shortly, Rachel Ashdown, lead commissioner for the BBC in Eurovision 2023. So that chat that I had with her on the way, and also our very first Rewind, or James, as you called it in the intro. Uh, Rewind as well, didn't Uh, I? No, I think you called it Rewind Baby. Oh yeah, Rewind Baby. Perfect, there it is, yeah. (laughs) So that's coming up. We'll be looking at an iconic past contest. But in the meantime, a little investigation, a little bit of detective work required this week, if that's okay with you.
1: Yeah, I I don't know what you're talking about, but (laughs) but yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, this comes courtesy of your brother, because he sent me on Friday a brand new song from one of the class of Eurovision 2022. Had quite a lot of music from the class of 2022. New music. In the last week, I saw yours and mine. Pals, We Are Dommy, uh, they released their new single, Alive, which is a bit of a bop over the weekend. Uh, also, uh, I think Amanda Tenfield, she's got a new song out. But so do Sub
1: Wolfer. Do you remember Sub Wolfer, James? Hard to forget. Absolutely. And they had another great release over the summer. It was called Melikaton. I think that was a great one from some say it's a great release,
0: I wouldn't quite go that far. (laughs) However, uh, I do think that this latest single, look at me sound like a DJ, uh, is, is, is one of their best. I very much enjoy it. Now, their new song is called Howling, right? And your brother is convinced that this track features a Eurovision alumni on it. Another Norwegian Eurovision alumni. Now, he is convinced that Alexandra from Kano is on this song. Okay. Shall we have a listen? And I want you to let me know what you think.
1: There is definitely a bit of Alexandra from Kano in there. It definitely sounds like her. A... Well, this is what I think, and this is what he thinks. However,
0: if you look at the credits... Uh, so, I listen on Spotify. I think you listen on Apple Music, do you not? Uh, we're rivals. Yeah. So, <laughs> Silicon Valley would love it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, well, no, Spotify Swedish, is it? Anyway, it's by the bye. Um... Yeah, so the song uh, is uh, supposedly performed by, uh, or performed by, uh, Subwoofer and Luna Ferrari. You ever heard of Luna Ferrari before? No, that's a new new one to me. I'm not saying Luna Ferrari doesn't exist, but I have searched for Luna Ferrari, and there is not a lot online. So, the question that I leave you with from this week's podcast, is Alexandra from Kano actually Luna Ferrari? Or is Luna Ferrari actually Alexandra from Kano? I'll leave you to answer that for yourselves. Like what you're hearing?
3: Make sure to leave us a review and a rating whenever you're listening.
1: Now then, you may remember a little over a week ago, we brought you a a bonus episode, or at least Rob brought you a bonus episode, all about the BFI. And Rob, I believe you were very busy at the weekend.
0: I certainly was, yeah. The BFI, you...
1: (laughs) So brilliantly called them,
0: the British (laughs) Film Institute. Uh, Yeah, if you listen to that special episode, you will know that The Weekend Just Gone, on Saturday, they put on a brilliant event all about Eurovision. It was part of their Game Changers season, celebrating 100 years of the BBC. And yeah, to kickstart the series, basically, they had two sessions all about the Eurovision Song Contest down there on Saturday here in London. The first one was a rewatch of the 1962 Eurovision Song Contest, which has been beautifully remastered thanks to an audio tape, which was discovered online and then afterwards was a brilliant panel discussion between Gordon Roxborough, who's the name that will come up a little bit later. He was hosting the panel, and Rachel Ashdown, the lead commissioner of Eurovision 2023, alongside Stephanie De Sykes, the UK songwriter from the 1978 and 1980 Eurovision Song Contests. But it is, of course, Rachel that we will focus on. I should say thank you to the BFI for having me on Saturday. I'd love a little little seat. I was sat near uh, friends of the podcast, Steve Holden. I've sat next to him Uh, and also a friend of the podcast, Dave Goodman from the European Broadcasting Union. But the BFI and a brilliant guy called Richard, who is a podcast listener. So hello, Richard, Uh, organised for Rachel to have a little sit down with me After the event. Now, I should apologize for the audio quality that you're about to hear however it does make it sound a little bit more like an investigative documentary and it sounds like (laughs) I'm on the run from a terror group or something like that instead Uh, but yeah I recorded this on my phone because it was all I had at the time so sorry everyone but you can definitely make out what Rachel has to say so I caught up with Rachel after the event we had a little sit down in a private room at the BFI but and this is funny she did have to rush off because uh, she's normally one of the lead commissioners for entertainment uh, at the BBC, which means that she can't miss Strictly, and literally she can't <laughs> miss Strictly. It's part of her job, so she had to run off and watch Strictly after our chat. So we didn't get long, but this is what happened when I had a chat with Rachel, and I started by asking what her previous roles have been at the BBC and how that led up to her being named lead commissioner for the Eurovision Song Contest next year.
4: So yeah, I was a executive producer, and I've been a commissioner at the BBC for a number of years. And in 2018, I started to look after Eurovision Song Contest and I joined the reference group for the um, Israel edition. Um, And that was really my first involvement with the EBU. And I served on the reference group for a number of years and at the same time was also the commissioner for Eurovision Song Contest at the BBC. And that job basically means you work with the um, delegation at BBC Studios, but also across the BBC working to join up the different services to make sure that we're all spreading the love and the word about Eurovision.
0: How has your experience in those previous roles, that previous connection with the Eurovision Song Contest, helped you already, I suppose, inform some of what you're doing now as lead commissioner for this year?
4: So I went to Israel for the 2019 edition, and that's really where I I learned what's involved with Eurovision outside of what we see on the television show. And that's when I realized it was so much more than the three nights of live television and um, and that was absolutely invaluable
0: at the same time as you mentioned your your work on the reference group do you mind talking us through a little bit about what you were doing and what the reference group do because i think this is something we hear a lot about as as eurovision fans for example but we don't often get to sort of hear much about what's discussed what happens so do you mind sort of taking us behind the behind the doors a little bit as much as you can anyway
4: so the reference group is um An invaluable resource actually when you make the Eurovision Song Contest because you have the advantage of working with colleagues who've worked on the Song Contest previously. They're there as the overall uh, authority really for the Eurovision Song Contest working with Martin Oerstedal as the executive supervisor and those colleagues at the reference group are just absolutely invaluable to draw on because they've been through the Song Contest.
0: So now moving forward to your, your role now, of course, lead commissioner for European 2023 here in the UK for the BBC. What does that role entail? I know we, we hear some of, of what it involves, but, you know, in your own words, w- what are you doing between now and May and in, in the months that have, have gone by when the BBC renounces as partnering as the host broadcaster with UAPBC?
4: So my role is mainly working with BBC studios who are delivering the song contest and also working with our colleagues at UAPBC on um, how we're going to actually celebrate Ukraine's win um, in this year. I mean, that's what we can't forget is that the reason the BBC is making this is because Ukraine can't post the song contest. So we're working really closely with our colleagues at UAPBC and um, we're having sort of regular meetings with them to really make sure that their, you know, their position as the, as the winners is, is celebrated. And then on top of that, for the domestic market, I'm working with my colleagues from across services in the BBC to see how we can amplify Eurovision over you know, the months in the run-up to the the contest in May.
0: You mentioned how important it is to celebrate Ukraine's win at the contest next year. How much of a an integral sort of part of your decision making process and the wider organizational decision making process when it came to picking the host city, did that play a part? Because I know Liverpool have, you know, very strong ties, for example, I know they are there are a twin city with Odessa in Ukraine and And there are other various sort of relationships between Liverpool and and Ukraine itself.
4: The decision to host in Liverpool was based on um, an RFP process. Liverpool came out on top of that process. All the cities who entered the process put in um, what they wanted to do to celebrate Ukraine, which was, you know, really important to us.
0: I know you can't tell us at this stage, it's October. You know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but those discussions, you know, obviously there was... Um, discussions in Warsaw. You you there yourself, Tim Davie from the BBC of course there as well and UAPBC colleagues just consolidating that relationship.
4: Yes, myself and um, members of the team went to Warsaw to meet with our colleagues from UAPBC and that dialogue will be ongoing way through to the, the song contest in May.
0: You can't talk specifics again but Just paint your week, I suppose, for us. Just paint out what that is exactly like. You know, you you turn up for work on a Monday morning. It's Eurovision wall to wall. But, you know, meetings and what's happening?
4: So um, the Eurovision Song Contest, obviously, you're able to work with colleagues who've made it before. So there are various deadlines that you've got to hit. So right now we're just concentrating on hitting those deadlines to make sure that we can Provide all the information that the delegations from around the world will need in time for them to be able to prepare because we're very conscious that obviously the show is a co production between the BBC and the other delegations. So we need to, to get the, uh, the stage ready, we need to start thinking about graphics because all that information needs to be conveyed to our colleagues around europe and the rest of the world
0: how close is that relationship we've mentioned uapbc how close is the relationship with the european broadcasting union as well
4: yeah i mean the the relationship with the ebu is really really important because again there is so much knowledge there and we work really hard with our our colleagues there to basically deliver the best show we can on behalf of ukraine in 2023
0: How difficult is it for the BBC to be hosting the contest? You know, we know broadcasters across Europe are facing, you know, tightening budgets. We know that's why many countries, whilst three countries, to be precise, have withdrawn from the contest this year. How difficult is it for the BBC to host the contest in that economic climate?
4: The Song Contest is a co-production between the BBC, the other participating broadcasters, and it also is funded by the national and international sponsors, and a contribution from the city.
0: And then, Rachel, my last question, I guess, is you mentioned a big part of your role is to link up the BBC's coverage of the contest. It's something that we've seen over recent years, you know, increasingly improved. We've seen more and more coverage. What can we we potentially expect from that coverage in 2023? As the host broadcaster, just how much content are we going to get in the months to come?
4: Well, my job for the last few years has been about really looking at how much uh, coverage we give um, to Eurovision, how we join up our social media, how we work with our colleagues at Radio 2 who've done a brilliant job. And you know, I've just been so excited by the um, level of engagement from my colleagues right across the BBC. Um, so I will be working with them really closely um, across all our services to, to, to bring a really exciting Eurovision to our audiences for 2023.
0: Rachel, you're very busy. So thank you so much for finding time to chat to us and uh, really appreciate it. And good luck with everything you've got to do.
4: Thank you very much. I really hope we can do Ukraine proud with the Eurovision that we work with them on in 2023.
1: Well, I'm under no doubt that we are in capable hands for next year's Eurovision Song Contest, which I'm sure you, along with us two, are very excited for already. I haven't got the countdown yet, Rob. I should have got the days to go countdown. Unbelievable. Uh, But I'm very, very excited. And yes, for for me as well, a big thanks to to Rachel for taking some time out to have a chat to you right before Strictly. On behalf of everyone listening as well, a big thanks, I imagine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It is brilliant to be able to have brought you that conversation, as short as it was, but yeah, as I'm sure you probably got from that, Rachel is a woman that means business for Eurovision 2023, so definitely a safe pair of hands and brilliant prior Eurovision experience there as well. The fact that she was on the reference group for the contest, also she's played roles in the UK delegation for, for a couple of years before that as well, so all
1: bodes very well for Eurovision 2023, that's for sure. Absolutely. But now it's time, or almost time, for us to bring you our brand new segment of the podcast. Um, before we do it, should we just, again, explain what it's all going to be about? Yeah, you almost had a premature rewind then, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Which is the last thing
0: you want. <laughs> So yeah, we've just mentioned Eurovision 2023. But yes, we will be rewinding here on the podcast for the next few weeks. So what we're going to do here is we're going to look back at an iconic Eurovision song contest. It may be one that you know very well. It may be one that you don't know that much about, but each week we'll be focusing on a different edition of the Origin Song Contest. We will be hearing from some of those involved, we'll be telling you some of the brilliant stories that came out of the contest, and to be honest, just having a real fun look back, and and we hope you find it as interesting
1: as, as we did when we're talking about them. Absolutely. So, for this week, the first edition of Rewind, we thought we'd take you back to, fittingly, the last time the UK hosted the Eurovision Song Contest. Of course, they're hosting it next year for the first time since 1998. So let's do it, shall we? Let's rewind.
4: This is the EuroTrip.
0: Very exciting that we are here with our very first rewind. So let's kick off a little bit more about what was happening in the world as we prepared for the Eurovision Song Contest of 1998 in Birmingham. Well, I can tell you that all Saints were at the top of the UK chart. They are only there for a week, though. The day after the Eurovision Song Contest, Aqua knocked them off and uh, they took the top spot in the UK chart. Uh, Labour, they were celebrating a year in power under Tony Blair. And of course, at the time of the contest in early May, both England and Scotland were preparing for the Football World Cup. Now, that would get underway the following month in France. At the media, they were full of rumours suggesting that the coach, Glenn Hoddle, might pick a young midfielder for his England team by the name of David Beckham. Uh, You might remember, this is how his tournament ended a few weeks later.
5: Now, whether Beckham accidentally... Smacked into the defender, Simeone, the midfielder, I don't know. But Beckham's holding his head. I think a yellow card is going to be brandished here somewhere, and it might be to David Beckham. I'll now tell Shearer's you. telling Battistuta not to get involved. The two captains there. Oh, Brian, it could be a red card. That's what that's what Alan Shearer's what, worried about. What, for Beckham? Yes, because he retaliated. And it's a yellow card. Away. Wait a minute, he's taking another card out for Beckham. It's a red card for David Beckham. So Beckham
0: is out of the game. Although, safe to say, things got slightly better for him after that moment. In the world of Eurovision now, this is why you're here, of course, and Birmingham were the winners of another hard-fought bidding race here in the UK to host the contest. Sound familiar? Back then, the EBU visited venues in Belfast, Cardiff, Glasgow, London, Manchester, and of course, Birmingham, before revealing that the contest would be heading to the Midlands on the 8th of August, an early
1: decision. Can you imagine a host city decision being made as early as the 8th of August now. God blame me, if we got that this year, can you imagine the excitement would have kickstarted even earlier, wouldn't it? It would, although there would have been a chance that I could have been here for the bonus host city episode and not been <laughs> on holiday. So there is that. So in the April of 1998, stand-in studios were also prepared, as well as the main stage in the National Indoor Arena in Birmingham. Uh, They were in the BBC's Television Centre in London and Pebble Mill Studios in Birmingham. This was, of course, the last contest where all participants were required to perform in the language of their country and the last to feature an orchestra. Now, a Birmingham University student designed the
0: trophy. Of course, back then, you know, we had a new trophy every single year, not the same design. And the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia, as they were then,
1: made their debut... And 1998 was full of names that you'll know and love. Uh, 1994 winner Paul Harrington was on backing vocals for Ireland. Toom was representing Estonia. He did so again, of course, didn't he, 19 years later in 2017. Uh, The host of the 2011 contest, Stefan Raab, was the conductor for the German entry that year. And another feature host, Edcilia Romble, was representing the Netherlands. But... Perhaps the most famous name at the contest that year was, of course, Terry Wogan.
2: Bonsoir, mesdames et messieurs. Bienvenue à 43e Concours de la Chanson Directe de la National Indoor Arena of Birmingham.
0: Great to hear Terry there speaking in French. And also, I am doing everything in my power to stop myself doing the first Terry Wogan impression of the 2023 <laughs> season. Shall we hear from a fan now? So this is Katie Isles. She's from Birmingham and was in the arena as a fan during the show.
3: I was a very massive Terry Wogan fan. And I loved him being part of Eurovision. And everyone fell in love with Ulrika. I mean, everyone during the voting, they were all just like, oh my God, ah, she's so gorgeous what I liked about it was it was a very relaxed style because I think quite often we get robotic hosts don't we and I know there is obviously the language issue sometimes with speaking English and they do a brilliant job and I would hate to you know have to stand there and do it in Croatian or whatever um but I liked the informal style but yeah weird combo in a way but Also quite nice that we got the different languages and we had a Swedish national able to communicate in so many different languages
0: on our behalf. Yeah, very fitting that we're talking about the hosts as there was an iconic Eurovision presenter in attendance that night as well.
5: Katie Boyle, who hosted then, went on to compare three more contests
2: and I'm delighted she's able to be with us here tonight. Katie Boyle.
1: Now, obviously, we can't hear from Katie herself on the podcast, can we? But, Rob, I consider this some of my very best detective work that I've ever done on the podcast because I found somebody who was very, very, very close to Katie during the show. Hi, I'm James Churchfield,
5: and I sat next to Katie Boyle at the Eurovision Song Contest in
0: 1998. Sat next to Katie Boyle? Are you joking? <laughs> Tell me that's good, eh? Incredible. How did you find it? Oh,
1: honestly, I'm not going to give away my techniques, but I still we will consider that for a long time the best get I've Were ever got. Were they legal? It definitely legal, I promise you, I promise you. But check that out. Honestly, sat next to Katie Boyle. Sat in the audience, eh? Incredible.
0: Yeah, honestly, well done. Regardless of whatever
1: we do for the rest of this episode and maybe the rest of this series, we might not top (laughs) this. But I can hear you asking, Rob, what was it like to be sitting next to Katie? She was critiquing
5: quite a lot of what was going on with her sort of connections to France and all of that. She really, really did not like the French entry. She did not hold back saying to me, she said, what absolute rubbish this is. She adored Gildo Horn." um really really loved it and obviously when you see his performance for germany coming down and coming along the front and then he kind of acknowledges her as well and she she really loved that but the the kind of abiding memory for me is that throughout the performance she shared her tic tacs with me and she had the she had this little packet of tic tacs that she would get out periodically I don't know how long she'd had them for, but they were not the crunchiest Tic Tacs I've ever eaten. (laughs) It were quite soft, (laughs) but they made us both minty fresh for the whole of the contest.
0: Imagine turning up for Eurovision and then finding out that you get to share Katie Boyle's (laughs) Tic (laughs) Tacs.
1: No, I I can imagine that probably wasn't the reaction you thought you were going to get from James here. No, unbelievable. And also I feel sorry for the French entry
0: that year because Casey obviously didn't like them very much. But also very funny that Casey was a big fan of the German entry,
1: which I'm sure we will come to later. Indeed, let's get to some of the songs then shall we Uh, Not a song that you'll immediately remember perhaps But let me bring your attention to song number two that night It was Greece, uh, and the artist was Thalassa Uh, But it seemed there was a lot more drama with the songwriter uh, As this clip from the documentary Naked Eurovision explains It's only day one but already their composer Yanis Valvis is not a happy man
2: uh, I'm disappointed with the, the disorganized here. I'm the, direct, I'm the composer of the song. And I, content, I protest about all of this, that's why I'm not in the skin to play. i uh, just
5: to
0: introduce myself. I'm Ben Kellett uh, and this is Malcolm Johnson. I'll be taking your comments on cameras and lighting and Malcolm will be looking after the sound. I think generally you'll agree that um, no.
2: the main you don't know what I'm going to say. Eh? No, it's possible yeah, to believe yeah. it. Uh, you can go with cover yeah, up. Yeah. In, in basketball, uh, I'm very sorry. In my video clip, there's only one director I'm and, very, one, I'm and one photographer. And can, can, go? Go? can we look no, this, sorry, this video right. clip, please? What European com- community like you? I don't, I don't want for you to, to talk to us with the colonial behavior. <laughs>
1: Now, there's also a great extract uh, from a book by Gordon Roxburgh, who we mentioned before, of course, volume four of his Songs for Europe series. He interviewed the exec producer, Kevin Bishop, for the book. And Kevin said he was becoming such a pain. He's talking about the songwriter there. (laughs) So in the end, we banned him. (laughs) But he managed to turn up to the after show party, even though there were photographs on the door saying, don't let this man in.
0: Yeah, he wasn't a happy man, was he? Or just listening <laughs> yeah. back to that clip, was not very pleased at all. How did Greece do that night? Are we coming to that later? Or was um... that me jumping
1: ahead? Uh, Well, feel free. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll come back to some of the results later. I'll keep you on tenterhooks to find out how how well Greece did. Uh, But staying on some of the songs, shall we uh, fast forward in this uh, edition of Rewind uh, to song number eight, Donna International, of course. And now during the postcard before the song, Terry Wogan said, this next one is the one that's got half of all the publicity. And the other half has gone to the song that immediately follows this. So naturally, we'll focus on song nine in a second. But first, it's Dana International.
3: Dana International came on that stage and made an impact. And at the time, obviously, having Dana there, it was a bit whoosh and obviously there was a bit of controversy over in israel and they didn't want her to represent israel and you know so it was i mean it still probably would be but now but back then can you imagine 24 years ago it was like wow who's this and what's she doing and how does she look and this is really interesting so if you can imagine that it had a whole lot of controversy as well as getting on that stage and just going Armaia oh, and delivering and belting out that song.
2: Viva Maria, viva Victoria, Afrodita. Viva La Viva, Viva Victoria,
0: Cleopatra. Dano International, such a moment for the Eurovision Song Contest. Like, I don't know any artist maybe that has changed the contest. As much as she did with one performance and one appearance on the stage at Eurovision,
1: yeah, I think that's fair to say, isn't it? You know, there's some Eurovision performances that will just always be remembered. Some for good reasons, some for bad reasons, but others just because they're so iconic and they sort of change the perception of something associated with Eurovision. And it's yeah, it's safe to say Donna International was definitely one of those uh, one of those performances. And the fact that she was there in the first place
0: was an achievement in itself, because when I was researching this episode, when I knew we were going to kickstart Rewind with 1998, I was looking through a brilliant book I've got from Chris West. He was saying in the book that, you know, some of the major political parties in Dana's home country of Israel were trying to ban her participation in the contest. So the fact that she was able to go to Birmingham and then won the contest, well, spoilers,
1: (laughs) is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, you'll remember before I mentioned that Terry said in commentary that the song following Dana International was also getting a lot of media attention. Yes. Now, this is, I think James is right in
0: saying, Germany's entry that year. The artist is Guido Horn with a song, Guido hat Uch lieb, which literally translates as Guido loves you.
5: I remember Gildo much more than I remember Dana, I really do, because he was everywhere, absolutely everywhere, jumping off the stage and then getting up onto that balustrade where the scoreboard was, which was right above where I was sat. So I had this most amazing view, you know, when he stood on the rails and all of that. And again, as I said, you know, he came really close to us with me sat next to Casey Boyle, you know, and he kind of brushed her cheek and you see it. And there's me sort of being very sedate, sort of clapping along, very genteel. But inside I was thinking, yes, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm seeing this. I'm seeing it so close hand. But I do think actually, now I think about all of the acts, he is the one that really does stand out for me. (laughs)
0: yeah now james if anyone has seen or hasn't seen this performance you just want to talk us through what gildo does because i've never seen a eurovision participant go
1: quite as far as he does away (laughs) from the stage he just goes for a wonder doesn't he Yeah, what doesn't he do? He's on the stage, he's off the stage. Of course, James just mentioned there, he goes and sort of brushes Katie Boyle's face as if to acknowledge her. Then he starts climbing on what looks like scaffolding but is actually part of the stage he seemed like the very first chaotic energy kind of Eurovision participant didn't he I feel like he he started a lot of what was to to come over the following years yeah totally I feel like Gildo is responsible for a
0: lot like you said of what was to follow over the the following few years of the contest Uh, something that is away from rewind very very quickly Uh, Gildo actually came up on the Graham Norton show last week which is not a sentence you expected me to say was it It wasn't. Tell me more. Uh, So Motsi Mabuse was on there. Uh, She's a judge on Strictly Come Dancing here in the UK. Uh, She was previously a judge and before that, previously a professional dancer on the German series of Strictly Come Dancing, which I'm pretty sure is just called Let's Dance. And she was paired in her first season on the show with Gildo
1: Horn. Oh incredible. Is that that's our homework for next week then. Let's all go and look, go and look at some Gildo Horn stuff from the from the German version of strictly.
0: Yeah. So uh yeah, I just thought I'd mention it because uh yeah, it was a weird thing where yeah, it seems like a just an odd coincidence but yeah, Gildo uh, mentioned by
1: Graham Norton on TV here in the UK last week. Well, there you go. Now then, let's, uh, let's skip forward to another song, a song I'm sure you're going to recognise, the UK's entry that year, Amani with Where Are You.
0: I
5: think there... And obviously, since then, we've had a very difficult time. But I remember thinking, this is quality. This is really great stuff. But I remember her coming on and her performance and a real sense of the crowd backing her. And I think that was both in terms of how she performed and the quality of what she performed and an opportunity that, you know, we could really hold our own and hold our head high that night, and I'm and I'm not surprised that we did as well as we did. Well, am I? No, maybe maybe on reflection, I was a bit taken aback that we got so close to winning again with it. But really, when you look at the the components of that whole um, package, it, it, it was bound to score well. Where are you
0: James, they're saying it was bound to score well. It really was. This is one of my favourite Eurovision songs from years gone by. That and the Dutch entry this year that you mentioned earlier on from Ed Silia romney But yeah, Imani and the UK. The UK bringing, honestly, top quality entry after top quality entry in the final few years of the 90s, I would say.
1: Yeah, it's one of those that sometimes goes under the radar, I think, in recent years. But every time it gets brought up, I think everybody is always in agreement, aren't they? That this is one of the UK's most well-loved, well-respected, and of course, as we'll find out later, as you'll probably well know already, one of the highest scoring as well. Absolutely. One of my favourites. And who knows,
0: we could have found ourselves in a bit of an island situation, couldn't we? Where the UK could have won the contest two years in a row, could have hosted it two years in a row as well, which, who knows, maybe could happen in 2023
1: and 2024, we can only hope. Indeed. Now, I want to take us uh, all the way to the voting, actually. Uh, Here is host uh, Ulrika Johnson chatting to the EBU executive supervisor at the time, Christine Marshall ortiz Bonsoir, Christine, ça
3: va? Bonsoir, Ulrika.
1: The vote has gone just fine and the Eurovision network now is on place, so good luck everybody. Yes, the very best of luck.
3: If anything's gonna go wrong, it's gonna go wrong
0: now. (laughs) If anything's gonna go wrong, it's gonna go wrong now, which (laughs) fills the entire auditorium in Birmingham
1: with confidence as well as every (laughs) viewer watching at home. It sounds like a very common saying, doesn't it, <laughs> at Eurovision? Um, but yeah, did it? Let's find out. Here's James Churchfield again.
5: I felt
1: that it was one of those contests
5: when she'd really warmed to the to some of the spokespeople. I mean, it was lovely the the interaction. I think it was the Polish spokesman who was clearly very flirty with the saying about "I'll give you I'll give you twelve points." And then, of course, the big, the big memory um, of the um, well, the misunderstanding with the Dutch spokesperson, uh, the, the former contestant, and um, it was it, it was great. It, it you really felt that ripple go through the audience, and it took a while for us to settle down. And I could see Ulrika Johnson like, oh crikey, I hope I can get this together.
0: One of the most iconic moments from any vote at any Eurovision Song Contest, what James has just mentioned there.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? But I, I want to I play the clip, actually, because I feel like it always gets mentioned, it always gets brought up on these highlight shows of the Eurovision Song Contest, because that was uh, Connie van der Bosch. She was the Dutch spokesperson, um, as we're about to hear. But Ulrika wasn't being rude, as the crowd seemed to think. Uh, just repeating what Connie had said to her just beforehand. Let's have a listen.
3: Let's go to the Netherlands. Goodnight, Connie.
4: Hello, Birmingham. Hello, Ulrika. This is Hilversum calling. Before I start giving you my points, I should like uh, to say that my heart goes to all the singers in the contest because I know what they feel. I know you, of course, have
3: taken part, so you must be it's feeling long ago. Their nerves. <laughs> A long time ago,
4: was it? <laughs> no, I didn't Do mean.
1: Oh, dear. You can see how it happened, though, can't you? You can, you can. If you were in the auditorium, you may not have heard what Connie had said beforehand. She was just reacting. She said, it was a long time ago. Ulrika said, a long time ago, was it? She was just repeating the question back.
0: Yeah, she was, she was. So you got a feel for Ulrika. We should point out as well, by the way, the voting at, at the Eurovision Song Contest in 1998, it was, it was big, wasn't it? It was a big deal, because this was the first time that, that almost... Because this was the first time that... that Almost
1: all countries moved to, to, to a televote, wasn't it? It was. So we'd had the, the trial of televoting with just a handful of countries the year before when we had uh, Ireland hosting in 1997. but the BBC rolled it out pretty much across the board. It was just a, uh, just a couple of countries that, that were still relying on the jury. So it was safe to say that 1998 was a, a bit of a milestone uh, contest in itself. Yeah. And and also I was
0: reading about this again in that Chris West book that I mentioned earlier on, which I will mention a lot in future rewinds to come. But yeah, he was saying that there were lots of sort of systems put in place because there were big worries that lobby groups from one country could vote for another song by sort of going en masse to another country and then voting from there. So, you know, the idea of I don't know, say you support Spain, you'd all hop in a bus and drive over to Portugal and then you'd all vote from there. But yeah, systems were put in place to stop that happening. And also back then, there were 16 members on the backup jury. Of course, this wasn't at the time of split jury, split televote. This was, if you can, you all vote via the televote. But yeah, 16 members on a backup
1: jury back in 98. That's just reminded me of something that I hadn't thought about for a long time, because I'm pretty certain uh, that Lee Smithhurst, who's been on the podcast before, works at the BBC and is going to be the head of show for Eurovision 2023. I'm sure he was on that backup jury either in 98 or 97. I'm going to have to dig that out. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure I'm telling the truth there. I think you're right. And I think
0: we can probably ask him. I think he's hopefully on the podcast again soon. Fingers crossed. So, Let's write that down somewhere so
1: we don't forget and we can ask him. <laughs> Somebody remind us. But anyway, let's uh, stick on the voting now. Uh, we were chatting a little bit about the, the sequence of the voting and, and how it was a revolutionary with the, t- the televote. But the voting sequence itself was very, very tense. Uh, here's Katie Isles again.
3: The voting that night was so close and so exciting. And literally in the end, there were, there were five, but then in the end there were four. And it came down to the last most. I mean, they, they literally kept moving and, and, and shunting up and down, especially Malta, Israel, and then Netherlands, UK were like fighting for third and fourth. And then by one point, UK came up and pipped Malta to end up second once again. So the voting was phenomenal.
0: Yeah, you have to go and watch this voting sequence back after you've listened to this podcast because it was all over the place. And like Katie said there, the fact that at one stage it could have gone anywhere within sort of four countries like Israel, Malta, the United Kingdom, the Netherlands, all in with a chance of winning at one point.
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, shall we? We might as well play it. So the voting in 1998 went right down to the wire. Uh, so let's remind ourselves of the final set of votes. Uh, and it was coming from uh, the country that was making its debut that year, the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia. Seven points, Vietnam, This is getting a bit
2: nail-biting now. Israel, eight points. Oh, eight points to Israel. Does this mean eight Malta's points. won it? Israel, eight Come on, strike a Ten points, United the United Kingdom, Kingdom pushing points. it into second place. Who's going to get the 12? And finally, 12 points from Macedonia goes to Croatia. Croatia. Croatia, Israel have won it. Israel have won it by seven points over the United Kingdom. I'm afraid I've got to love you and leave you. Yeah, I've got a fish to try
1: I just love the curveball of it going to Croatia, the 12 points. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know, I think we're so used to Eurovision voting being really tense now. It always comes down to that final set of televote points in the new system that we've had since 2016. But you've got to remember, back in the day, often the the winner was already wrapped up because we had a lot of points going to the eventual winner and it was already decided by three or four countries still left to vote. But 1998 was one of those occasions where it was down to literally the last set of 12 points. And we we didn't take that for back in the day.
0: No so tight and I think we saw in a couple of contests sort of in the in the following years we had sort of similarly tight voting but none quite as tense as that and what is incredible about that of course is Sir Terry Wogan that you heard there commentating on that tense moment because he was commentating and hosting of course for the BBC in 1998 so he was then having to then dash onto stage to, to present the trophy after
1: it so Oh, honestly. I mean, what an evening. What an evening for him and what an evening for everyone else. Well, it's funny you you say that. He didn't really have to dash off at all, did he? Because I don't know if you remember, but... (laughs) He was taking a long walk. Yeah, there was that huge delay, wasn't there, between that announcement that we just heard, that Dana International was the winner, and her actually arriving on stage for for collecting the trophy and her reprise. Now, I delved into our own archive here at the Eurotrip because about a year and a half ago, We spoke to a guy from Israel called Gilad Yanai, and he was part of the Israeli delegation back in 1998. And here he is recalling a story from that contest.
2: Dana, she's a wonderful singer. She's a great person, really, to to hang around with. But the team is a little bit cocky. They thought, like, we don't have to wear the dress in the rehearsals. They wanted to keep it as a surprise. And only, I think it was the rehearsal before the jewel rehearsal, they gave the points, like the backing uh, points. She took out the dress and performed with it. And it didn't look good at all. Uh, Saturday morning, we all ate breakfast at the hotel. And all the faces of all the delegation, people like was, oh my God, what are we doing? So they knew they were not going to wear that dress. How are we going to tell Jean-Paul Gaultier we are not using his dress? And uh, I believe it was Offer Schafriberg, uh, the person in charge of the, the moves, the choreographer, uh, who said, well, you know, guys, if we win, we'll use his dress as the winning performance. So, so I don't know if they sent him a fax or phoned him, um, but someone did very carefully and, all he said, all Jean-Paul Gaultier said was, guys, you do whatever you need to do to win.
0: I remember Gillard telling that story the first time. And what a story. So I think that just about explains why there was such a long delay. But honestly, amazing. And, and what brilliant sort of, well, fitting for the song, really, wasn't it?
1: What brilliant diva behavior. Yeah, absolutely. You said uh, such a long delay. You know me, I've done the maths. It was three minutes and 10 seconds precisely from her being announced as the winner to her arriving on stage. So instead of heading to the stage, uh, Donna International instead dashed off to change from that original outfit uh, to the reprise dress, the one designed by Jean-Paul Gaultier, covered in feathers, which has now, I think, become such an iconic image in Eurovision history.
0: Well, there is only one way that we can end rewind, of course, and that surely is to, is to play the, play the winner. Again, a reprise as it were, from 1998. <laughs>
2: Hey, coming.
1: There it is, then, of course, the winner of Eurovision 1998. Uh, Dana International with Diva on 172 points. Uh, the UK's Amani with Where Are You coming in second. Uh, Malta's Chiara, who then went to represent Malta again twice more at uh, the contest, finished third. Uh, the Netherlands at Silia Romble uh, coming in fourth. And then Croatia, who got that last set of 12 points finished fifth. And Rob, I know you mentioned it before. Where did Greece come? Uh, 20th place out of the 25 performers. I can understand why Yanis was a bit annoyed then. (laughs) All makes sense. So there we are then. That is it for this week's edition of Rewind.
4: When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotour Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. I don't
1: know about you, but I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was fun, wasn't it? We were we were toying with that for, for ages, weren't we, over the summer, thinking, shall we do something a bit different? I'm glad we did. I really, really enjoyed looking back at 1998. Uh, the, that was, in fact, the first contest that occurred when I was alive, Rob.
0: <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's very nice. Maybe... Maybe on Rewind, we'll do the first contest that occurred when I was born. But I'm not going to tell you when I was born,
1: because then that would give away the year, wouldn't it? There's some hardcore fans who have figured this out already. Well, I knew it. You'd probably
0: make an educated guess, but maybe that'll come up (laughs) later on in Rewind. But yeah, we will have a Rewind for you every week over the next few weeks. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. So uh, I hope you did too. If you did, let us know at your trip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you didn't enjoy it, don't let us know. I'd rather live in ignorance.
1: <laughs> but anyway before we go we've definitely remembered i promise it's time for the one second song so a quick reminder if you forgot or no, if you're brand new each week rob and i take it in turns to play each other the very first second of a eurovision song and we take it in turns each week to try and figure out the artist the song title the country it was representing and the year it participated in the eurovision song contest and you can of course play along as well now rob you've chosen it for me this week so shall we listen Let's do it. Here is this week's One Second Song. Oh my goodness me. Uh, first of all, uh, I, I feel like I've been hampered by the, the crowd applause at the beginning there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully try and get a bit of a sympathy point. Am I going to get that? Um,
0: what? what? You think I'm just going to give you a point? You've not guessed anything yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God. Let me have a listen again. I am utterly, utterly clueless, but I'm going to try and get this sympathy point by just taking a stab in the dark. Have you got this at home? Blimey, this sounds so tricky. I really don't recognise it. I'm going to guess that it is Germany, 2002. It's, of course, the, the hugely popular German singer Anders Frugenhoff. <laughs> It sounds German, uh, with a song, Light Up My Butterflies. Tremendous. First week back on the
0: One Second Song, and you're <laughs> already making up people's names. <laughs> wouldn't have it any other way. Ridiculously, you've got a point. No way. Ridiculously, you have got a point. And I think you're going to be angry at me when I tell you what it is. Uh, yeah, so it was Germany. Oh. It was Germany 1996. So it's Leon. And Planet of Blue, which is a brilliant song, by the way, features sometimes in the ESC 250 at the end of the year. But obviously you're going to be angry at me because that song didn't actually make it to the Eurovision Song Contest.
1: Yeah, that's not officially a Eurovision song is it Rob I feel like you've bent the rules a bit there <laughs> well you got a
0: point so it's up to you whether you keep your point or not but anyway I picked this song because we heard mentioned didn't we earlier on in Rewind of the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia as they were then they made their debut at Eurovision in 1998 but actually if they'd had it their way they would have made their debut in 1996 because they also entered that weird old pre qualifying round and they didn't qualify alongside germany germany also not qualifying from that uh, pre qualification round and uh, yeah that's the one and only time that germany entered the eurovision song contest but not made it to the final
1: Well, there you go. I wasn't really listening to any of your stats and facts there. I was just basking in the glory of picking up that remarkable point that we can add to the brand new spreadsheet. I think we're going to scrap off all of the scores that we've ever had and we're going to start afresh. So please remember, everyone, James is currently on one point. Rob is currently on zero because he hasn't played, but he's got time to catch up next week. Does that all make sense? I think it does. But here we are then. This is the first episode of our coverage beginning to uh, to warm you up for the Eurovision Song Contest of 2023. We're going to be here with you every single week between now and May next year. May the 13th, of course, the grand final uh, next year. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, a pleasure to have you along. We'll be back with you in seven days' time for a brand new episode. In the meantime, you can keep in touch with us online. We are at EuroTip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email and you can read any of our exclusive stories over on EurotripPodcast.com make sure you subscribe leave us a review and rate us five stars from me James it's goodbye and from me Rob it's goodbye hello there welcome to or welcome back to the what was that (laughs) ropey